I want to say thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to be here with you all tonight. Um, I've never been here before. I think I've heard of College View, um, but I've never been here before. Uh, but I am thankful for the opportunity to meet some of you. I'm pretty good friends with Jeffrey Vernon. Uh, he's come down to Athens, where I'm from, and visited at Eastside, uh, where I worship several times. He's been to our summer series and uh, is, has been involved with a study that we're doing at Athens State University on Ecclesiastes. So I've gotten to know him pretty well. And so I'm assuming that's the primary connection with this congregation. And, of course, got to meet his parents tonight. Um, but I'm thankful to, to be here and, and meet you. And hopefully, I've met some of you. Hopefully, I can meet you more of you after uh, the lesson this evening. Uh, I want to thank Anthony, uh, Anthony, right, <laughs> for those songs. I appreciate that. I, I was uh, hoping that you would lead some songs on redemption, so you nailed it. I appreciate that as well. Tonight, we're going to be talking about this idea of being redeemed by blood. I want to ask you, when you think about redemption, what comes to your mind? When someone talks, or if someone were to ask you, what does redemption mean? How would you explain that to them? I think redemption can be kind of a difficult idea to wrap our minds around. I think at a very basic level, we could give a, a simple definition of what, how we would define redemption. But to really comprehend that on a spiritual level, it can be difficult. Especially in a level in relation to our relationship with God, and of course God redeeming us by the blood of Jesus, like we're going to be talking about tonight. So what does it mean to be redeemed? From the Bible, there are three different words in the Greek New Testament that are used to describe this idea of redemption. I don't always bring up Greek or anything in, in my lessons, but the reason I want to bring out these three words is because in English, when we read through them, we, we read the concept or the idea of redemption or redeemed. But in the Greek, there are some slight variations in the meanings and the usage of the words that are used to describe redemption in these passages. So I want to identify that, first of all, and then later on in the lesson we'll get more into some of, the, of, of where those passages or where these words are used in various passages. But there are three words here uh, that are used in the Greek New Testament to describe redemption. The first one is agorazo, and pronunciation, of course, is not important, um, but, or at least in our, in our um, circumstances tonight, but this uh, word could be described or defined as to buy, to make, as it were, private property. So maybe a synonym that we could use for whenever this word agorazo is used is the idea of purchasing something. Okay. Let me say this too, that in, in, in pointing out these variations in these words, um, I'll just go ahead and say this, that... Uh, they all do point to the overall arching, overarching concept of redemption. I'm, I'm not trying to take away from that um, 
but I, again, I do want to point out these variations and how these words are used in other places. So this word agalazo could be used um, as the concept or the idea of purchasing something. Next one would be exagorazo. So you're adding that ex to the beginning of the word. And the definition here would be to redeem, buy up by payment of a price, to recover from the power of another, or to ransom. So very similar to agorazo, right? Purchasing something. But this definition holds with it the idea of ransoming something. Like if somebody were kidnapped and you're paying the ransom price to acquire that person out of their captivity. Uh, the same idea there. And then the last word that we see used applied in this idea of redemption is the word lutro. And the definition here would be to redeem, obviously, to liberate by payment of ransom, which is similar, again, to exagorazo, or release on receipt of ransom. Um, synonym we might use when this word is used would be to liberate. Now, again, I don't want to get too technical and I don't want to get too bogged down on the differences in these, but I just wanted to identify the difference in how the New Testament writers and ultimately the Holy Spirit inspired the usages of these words when talking about redemption. They kind of give a different aspect um, or a different perspective, rather, of this great, greater concept of redemption. And we'll point these out as we go throughout the lesson The Bible talks a lot about this concept of redemption. But the problem is, a lot of people don't recognize their need for it. And would you not say that at times, even we, when we became Christians, we recognized our guilt, we recognized our sinfulness, we realized we needed redemption, that there are times in our lives and our walks as Christians that we forget that? We forget that we were redeemed. We forget where we came from. And we forget that we need constant redemption by the blood of Jesus. And that's exactly what we're talking about tonight. Is that it's by the power of Jesus' blood, which we're going to talk about in detail later on in the lesson, that we are capable of being redeemed to God. And none of us would be here tonight or have the faith that we claim to have were it not for the redemptive quality of the blood of Jesus. What, then, is our spiritual condition without redemption? I think in talking about redemption by the blood of Jesus, which is the title of our lesson, it is important and essential for every one of you here sitting in the audience tonight and for myself to discuss and, and meditate on and think about our spiritual condition were it not for the redemption of Christ. So let's look at just a few verses. Many of you know these verses very well, but I just want to look at a few verses that describe where we were, who we were, and who we are if we have not become Christians without the blood of Jesus. Look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. 2 Timothy 2, 25, 26, Paul says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. And he's kind of picking up in the middle of his, uh, 
discussion here, but he says, uh, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Remember we talked about that last word, lutro, means to liberate. You could apply that concept to captives, could you not? Liberating a captive, ransoming a captive. That's exactly who we are or who we were before we expressed our faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. We were captives of Satan, taken snare by him, is what Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, he gives another very graphic description of who we are outside of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 1 through 3, he says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. There's one description, right? Being dead, lifeless without Jesus. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There's another description. A son of disobedience. That's what defines these people, right? Their sons. Think about their father. Being Their father is the father of disobedience, and they are sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Listen to all three of these descriptions. Being dead, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. That's who we were, right? Without Jesus submitting ourselves to constant disobedience to God and constantly incurring on ourselves the wrath of God. Without the redeeming blood of Jesus... That's exactly what we are, children of wrath. Jesus describes it as a slave of sin. In in John 8, um, verse 34, he said that, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus said explicitly that everyone who is a sinner is a slave of sin. And in Romans chapter 6, and verse 16, Paul goes into more detail about that when he says... Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So Paul gives a little bit more descriptive, uh, uh, or gives a little bit more explanation behind this slavery concept that whoever you are consistently following is who you are a slave to. And when you're consistently following sin, and disobedience, then you're a slave of sin and a slave of disobedience. John gives a very very graphic description in 1 John chapter 3 about who we are outside of Jesus. John chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning... For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Let's get down to verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So what's the description there? There's a lot of things, a lot of things excuse me, being said in those verses. What's the description, though, of those who are not in Christ? Child of the devil. In John chapter 8, if you remember in that same discussion we read uh, just a second ago, uh, Jesus describes how uh, the Father, he says, you have your father the devil, right? Imagine that being a description of us. Children of the devil. And Paul explains it very plainly in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14 as being sold under sin. Now, if you notice all of these descriptions, all every one of these kind of applies to the definitions that we identified at the beginning of the lesson of redemption. Redemption really undoes all of these things, right? And we'll look at, it, at, at some other verses uh, that, or look at verses that show that. But redemption ransoms us from the captivity of Satan. It sets us free, liberates us from slavery of sin. It buys us back from that which we were sold under. See, God, redemption is God's effort to undo everything that we have done to ourselves by selling ourselves into, slave, selling ourselves into slavery of sin and being captives of Satan. It is God's effort to undo what we have messed up. Now, I would be willing to say that no one, well, there might be some crazy people out there that would claim this, but I'm sure there are in the world that we live in today, but no one would claim to be in their lives today, a captive or a slave or a child of Satan. Except for maybe a worshiper of Satan. No one in this room, I can tell you for a fact, would freely admit that, you know, I, yeah, you're right. You're right, David. I'm, I'm a child of, I'm the child of the devil. I'm a captive of Satan. Not many people are bold enough to make that claim, but the, the reality is, if you're living in sin, right now, unrepentant sin, willingly making yourself a slave and a captive, and ultimately a child of Satan, then what you need is redemption. You need redemption. Further, I would emphasize that maybe you are a Christian. And maybe at one point you were redeemed. And you recognized your need for redemption. But now, you have sin in your life. And your pride has built up so much to where you say, you know what, I've already, I've already been redeemed. I don't need redemption. Well, you're wrong. 
and we're living in sin, then we're slaves of sin and we're sold under sin, baptized or not. And we need the redemption. And the truth of the matter is that we all need redemption. Well, as I've pointed out tonight, and as you all already know, most of you, if not all of you, that there is good news. We do have redemption. And that redemption is found in Jesus. Knowing that we are slaves, that we're captives, that we are ultimately children of Satan when we're living, willingly living in sin, knowing that ought to make us all the more thankful and desire all the more an owner and a master and a redeemer like Jesus, a father like God, the one who wants to take the place of all the roles that Satan is filling in our lives today. Jesus came to offer us redemption. I told you we'd come back to these words. Let's look at a few passages that uses this word agorazo. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, beginning in verse 8. And we'll read through verse 10. It says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the, the Lamb, each having a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. There's that word, agarazo. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. We mentioned how from John chapter 8 verse 34 and Romans 6 verse 16 that without Jesus we're slaves of sin. We're sold under sin, right? Being slaves but this new song that's described here in Revelation chapter 5 is not only one that describes the redemption of Jesus by His blood in verse 9, but it describes in verse 10 a new characteristic of these people who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That now they are no longer slaves, but they're kings. Now they are no longer slaves, but they're priests to God. You think about what Jesus is offering us through His blood from Revelation chapter 5 and verse, verses 9 and 10 is an opportunity to no longer be seen in God's eyes as a worthless slave, but rather make us something great. Make it something wonderful, a king and a priest before him. This is what Jesus has purchased us for through his blood. 
In Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5, we see this word used again. Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what John says. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one can learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. <coughs> Excuse me. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So I want to identify here two times here that that word redeemed is used. Verse 3, right? He says that these were the people who were, the 144,000 were those who were redeemed from the earth at the end of verse 3. And at the end of verse 4, he says these were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Now in this passage, it says that they, again, like we saw in Revelation chapter 5, are singing a new song. Look what it says in verse 3. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. Now listen to what it says here in verse 3. No one could learn that song except the 144,000. Why do you think that might be? Why do you think it might be that no one else could learn this song? but the 144,000. I think it's exactly what he says there to describe those 144,000 at the end of verse 3. It's because they were redeemed from the earth. Because these 144,000 understood what it meant to be a slave of sin, to be a child of Satan and now have been redeemed by Jesus. They knew what that transformation looked like in real life. They knew what it looked like to have a heart that was devoted to sin, devoted to their own selfish pleasures and self-will and be transformed by the blood of Christ, by the power of Jesus' blood and in God's love to have that change in themselves, they could sing this new song because they had experienced the redemption of Jesus Christ. They understood what it meant in their own lives, in real time. They could look back and point to specific times where they had been transformed and they could identify the redemptive purchasing power of the blood of Jesus from sin. And it says in verse 1 that they have their Father's name written on their foreheads. They were now a purchased possession of God's. If you remember in 
the movie Toy Story. Uh, Andy, I guess is the kid's name. He writes his name on the bottom of those toys. And uh, I can't remember in which movie it is, but I think it's the second one, where Woody gets that name painted over the bottom. You see the contrast there. That having once had the name of Satan on us, now by the blood of Jesus, we're painted over and God can write His name on us. And that's exactly what's described here in Revelation chapter 14. That those who have been redeemed by Jesus have been a purchased possession with the name of the Father on their foreheads. The second word that we mentioned describing redemption was exagerazo. The synonym that we used for that was uh, ransoming. And again, I, I don't want to make too much of this, but notice in the context of these verses how we could understand redemption from a different angle as we read Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 where this word is used. Galatians 3.13 Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, what is the curse of the law that we're talking about, that Paul's talking about here? Well, if you go back to verse 10, he says, For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, the curse of the law is punishment for not doing the works of the law. That's what he's describing there in verse 10. Well, what was that punishment? Well, that punishment ultimately was death. If you look back in Deuteronomy, and really all throughout the old law, many of the consequences of sin was death. If not death of the one who committed the sin, death of an animal to be sacrificed in place of that person, right? So you have this consequence of death, this curse of the law. And what Paul is saying is that Christ has ransomed us, redeemed us, from this curse of the law, this curse that had power over us, that we could not take off of us, because we had broken the law of God. We were under the power of the curse of the law, and we could not do anything about it on our own. We were subject to slavery all our lives. But Christ came to lift the power, to buy us back, to ransom us by becoming that curse for us. By taking death for you and me. He paid the ransom just like as if, if someone had kidnapped someone and asked for a million dollars 
in return for that person's life. Jesus paid the ransom that no one else could pay for our souls that we might be freed from the power of the curse of the law. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's ransomed us from death by becoming death for us. And in the next chapter of Galatians, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I couldn't preach it more beautifully than Paul does here in Galatians chapter 5. Once being under the curse and the power of the law, God sent forth His Son to be under that same power and to take on the curse for us so that no longer we're slaves to that, but we're sons. You see the contrast? You know, we were slaves and now God has made us kings. We saw that in Revelation chapter 5, kings and priests. We were slaves and now God has made us like His very own Son and has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts. And now we are heirs of God through Jesus. Through that blood that redeems us. Verse 5 redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Ransomed us. Let's look at this last word. Lutro mentioned synonym we might use in English to be liberate. If you know anything about the Jewish history, you know that the Jews were always looking for a redeemer. And on the road to Emmaus, (coughs) excuse me, the two disciples that were walking with Jesus, 
said in verse 21, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They were talking about Jesus, right? They were telling Jesus about himself, telling him the story. And they said, we were hoping that this guy was the one that was going to redeem Israel. They were always looking for that, right? Well, that's exactly the role that Jesus was filling. They just didn't see that yet. They didn't understand that yet. And they didn't understand to what extent Jesus was going to liberate Israel. That Jesus wasn't just coming to liberate Israel. He was doing something much bigger. He was coming to liberate everyone. To free everyone. And Titus chapter 2 describes that. And Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now here's where we get into the redemption. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, liberate us, from every lawless deed, Purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. We once were slaves of sin, just as much as the Israelites were in bondage after their captivity to Assyria, Babylon, and and all that mess in the years of silence. And then they get into the New Testament age and they still feel the weight of Roman power on them. They wanted somebody to liberate them, to set them free. Do we feel the weight of sin? Do we feel the weight of sin like the Israelites felt the weight of of human power over them through all of those years? You know, they wanted someone to, to set them free. How do you feel about sin? Is it weighing you down? Is it weighing on your shoulders every day? Because if that's the case, someone came to liberate you from that weight. Someone came to pay the price for those sins, to set us free. You know, freedom is a gift that we often take for granted. I think in the time, the, the current times of the United States, we now, maybe more than ever in our lives, I know for me, and maybe those of you who are older especially, feel like some of our liberties are being risked or, or at, you know, at risk. We take that freedom for granted. You know, imagine, imagine not being able to obtain freedom on your own. Imagine being like some of our brethren who live in places like Zimbabwe or China, North Korea, who don't have that freedom. And they couldn't attain it even if, even if they wanted to, they, most likely. Um, imagine not being able to obtain freedom 
being a slave and not capable of doing anything about it. You think about that for a little bit. How grateful that ought to make us for someone who transcends beyond human power, beyond what anyone else can do to us, and is still capable of setting us free from the greatest power on earth, from the ruler of this world, Satan. You know what? He's still able to break his bonds. And he's still able to set us free. And praise God for that. That God has given us a Redeemer. That He has sent Christ to be our new owner. To purchase us from sin. To pay the ransom for our captivity. And to liberate us from our slavery. Well, as we see or saw the title of our lesson, that is that redemption does not come without a price. In any case, you don't redeem something without paying a price for it. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus paid a very costly price to redeem us. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul describes that price. Colossians 1, he says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Well, there's the price, right? The blood of Jesus. The Hebrew writer also emphasizes the same in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That was the price. And there was no other price that could be paid to liberate us, to set us free. Do we see that? Do we understand that? That there was nothing else that could be done. Nothing. That if we were going to be redeemed, Jesus had to die. He had to shed His blood for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and obtain eternal redemption as we read in both of these passages. Peter describes it like this. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Why? Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, 
like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ and as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do we understand the seriousness of this? Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, very similar to Colossians 1, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. The blood of Jesus is in accordance with the riches of God's grace. If we want to understand the riches of God's grace and how deep and how wealthy God is in grace, then we look to Jesus. Because it is the blood of Jesus that allows us to see how wonderful and how rich and wealthy God is in mercy and in grace. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. And Peter is using that blood as motivation for these Christians that he's writing to in 1 Peter chapter 1 to say... You conduct yourselves through your time of your stay here in fear because you were purchased with the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, something very valuable was paid for you. I've never, I didn't grow up on a farm and some of you probably did. Um, but I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen an animal killed. Well, maybe hunting. (laughs) But an innocent animal killed. Uh, Especially like with a knife. Could you imagine taking an innocent lamb, and on top of that, a very beautiful lamb, spotless and perfect Strong, you know, as strong as a lamb can be. Beautiful lamb. Beautiful wool. Taking that lamb, placing your hand on its head, slicing its throat, and watching its blood spill out because of sins that you committed. That's a pretty intense thought for me. Like I said, I haven't seen that done. This is what they did in the Old Testament because of their sins. An innocent animal going about its day, having its throat sliced, spilling its blood because I sinned. How much more should the blood of an innocent man who is the Son of God affect us because we sin. When you sin, do you think about that? Do you think about the blood of a spotless lamb like Jesus Christ suffering and dying for you because you sinned? 
That's exactly what Peter is trying to get these people to think about. Remember Jesus. I think this is the reason why we partake of the Lord's Supper every week, the beginning of every week. Because it's so easy for us to forget, is it not? We're partaking of it on Sunday and on Monday. We forget. Don't forget about Jesus. Let His blood motivate you. behind in my PowerPoint. I always do that. That's typical of me if you know anything about my preaching. How does the blood of Christ impact you? Just a couple more passages and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Chapter 7, verse 23, he emphasizes the same thing. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. How does the blood of Christ impact you? Peter was doing it in 1 Peter 1, and here we see Paul doing it as well in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7. Reminding the Corinthians to remember the price that was paid for them. You were bought at a very costly price. And Paul uses this price of redemption to motivate us to remain a valuable possession of God's. Not to go back into captivity to Satan, but to be a valuable, undefiled possession of God's. Isaiah 63, 7 and 9 says, In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them. In his love and in his pity. Is that how you feel about the redemption of Jesus? That because he loved you, because he had pity on you, because that's exactly what it was pity. We were pitiful in our sins, helpless. And in His love and in His pity, He redeemed us. How will you respond to the price that He paid to redeem you? Christian or not, tonight you have to respond to that because I've presented the message to you. You've read the verses yourselves. And you know. You know now. And you're accountable for a response to this message. Tonight, you have to make a choice. Am I going to submit myself? Am I going to humble myself for the blood of Jesus? If you have that need, and you recognize that need tonight, we strongly encourage you to let that be known as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.